0: Hello everybody, this sermon is the seventh and last in our series looking at the covenants in the Bible. It is entitled A Covenant of Blood. It refers to the story of the Lord's Supper and Hebrews 8 through to 10, but particularly looking at Hebrews 9 verses 11 to 28. Have you ever been tempted to give up on Jesus maybe as you look back on your life there were times of backsliding or even a complete walking away from the faith altogether only for you to come back later certainly today we see a lot of young people who grew up in church drift away when they leave home or go to university the pull away from Jesus seems stronger than ever before What is it that leads to this place of denying Christ? Maybe friends, family or colleagues, our peers, mock us for our faith or make going to church hard. Maybe there was something we yearn for in life. We prayed earnestly for it, but it never came to pass. Maybe our experience of illness or grief has led to suffering so intense that the promises for treasure in heaven just seems too far away. Maybe the tragedy of the coronavirus is rocking our belief in God's reign. We have all been here. My poor mental health has certainly taken me to this place before. We have all at times doubted and been tempted to deny Christ before others. We have all displayed elements of faithlessness. It is because I have been to this place myself that I love the story of the Last Supper. In the very same breath that Jesus shocks everyone by announcing that one of his closest friends will betray him, he also announces that he is making a new covenant by which he will bind himself to his people forevermore. As Judas prepares treachery, Jesus is preparing for an act that will display the loyalty of God's love at its starkest. At the cross, where humanity were most faithless, God was most faithful. Indeed, from Calvary onwards, it is God's faithfulness first to us that enables us to have any faith in him at all. In our doubting and falling short, we are totally dependent on the covenant love of God. The first readers of Hebrews were just like us. They were also tempted to walk away from Jesus. In fact, some of them already had by returning to their Jewish roots. In the first century, Judaism was a permitted religion of the Roman Empire. Christianity was not. That meant as soon as you stepped over the line by trusting in Jesus, the full force of the state's power was aimed squarely at you. That power included taxes and prohibitions, lions and dogs. Alongside these horrors came also the disowning of family. Many Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah and so treated family members who chose to follow him with contempt. Christians were scorned and thrown out of the protected environment of the Jewish community because of perceived disloyalty to their heritage. This disowning of family made these poor converts even more vulnerable to the weapons of state persecution. Consequently, young Jewish Christians faced all sorts of pressure to abandon their new belief in Jesus, to recant and go back. In this cauldron of persecution, many were beginning to doubt their new faith. Many were becoming lethargic, losing the enthusiasm they had had when they first believed. Some had not been able to stand it any longer. Following Jesus just made their life too hard. So they denied, disobeyed and drifted away. The letter to the Hebrews was written into this urgent situation, this emergency for the church and the pastoral care of its members. The overarching message of the book to those on the verge of caving in is clear. Do not go back on Christ. Indeed, you cannot go back. You cannot go back to earlier stages of God's purposes the days before Jesus' life on earth. You can only go forwards. In the run-up to a World Cup or Olympics, thousands of people go out and buy a brand new TV. They want the best possible picture to watch the games on, the most realistic image that takes them closest to the action. So they go out and buy super widescreen, super HD, internet-connected, smart TVs that often cost thousands of pounds. Do any of these people, when the games are over, take their new TVs back to the shop and go back to what they were watching before? Of course they don't. Once you've got used to the new, higher quality, you don't want to go back. In fact, in no time at all, you cannot believe you were ever satisfied watching TV on a smaller screen with less features. Days prior to super high definition, what were they? The Dark Ages? No. Whether it be your car, the mattress on your bed, your phone, or the brand of food you buy, no one goes back to the old when they have tasted better. In fact, that which is better makes the old completely obsolete, unpalatable even. It is fascinating that the letter to the Hebrews contains the word better more times than the whole of the rest of the New Testament put together. It is the number one reason why the believers must not ditch Jesus and go back to old time Judaism. They would be foolishly rejecting that which is better. The letter says to the Jewish Christians that what you had in Old Testament times was good, but God has gone beyond it. What you had was true, but not the whole truth. What you had was important, but what was most important about the Old Testament was that it announced that God was going to do something more. And what was that new thing, that deeper truth, that better revelation? It was Jesus. Jesus, who was God walking on earth. Jesus, who was the full revelation of the father. Jesus, who was fully human, so fully understands what we experience. Jesus, who died to forgive us and rose again to make the way for eternal life. For all these reasons, the Hebrews must not on any terms let go of Jesus. It would not just be ditching your brand new TV and going back to a tiny black and white monitor. It would be giving up everything good for nothing. The section of the letter that we read is particularly concerned about reinforcing this teaching by referring to the new covenant mediated by christ the new covenant is so much better than the old that verse 13 of chapter 8 tells us that it makes the old obsolete in fact so obsolete the old will soon disappear altogether As we have discovered in this series, the old covenant was made between God and Israel. He promised to be their God and they would be his people. In making this covenant, God had a purpose in mind. He wanted his people to be the vehicle through which he would go on to bless the whole world. Israel thus had a hugely privileged role, with which came some obligations. They were to live according to God's law. But of course the story of the Old Testament is that the people failed in this regard. The law helped them to behave outwardly differently at first. But soon they fell away to their old ways. In fact, before long, the sacrifice system which God had set up as a means of ongoing forgiveness to keep his people in the covenant began to be treated as a triviality, a formulaic ritual to which the people ceased to give their heart. With this combination of poor behaviour and disingenuous faith, the people broke the covenant altogether. But wonderfully God was not prepared to leave things in this state of disrepair. He made way for a new covenant to be made. The writer of Hebrews wants his readers to know that the success of this new covenant is guaranteed because it is held together by God's ability to do for the people what they could not do for themselves. In Hebrews 8, quoting the prophecy of Jeremiah 31 which we looked at last week, the writer reminds his readers just what God achieved. Through the new covenant, God is going to forgive his people all of their sins, past, present and future. Place his Holy Spirit in all believers' hearts so that every single person will know God and have equal access to him. That Holy Spirit will then work to change believers' hearts so that our desires and motives will be transformed And we will want to live as God's people from the inside out, rather than just as a shallow outward pretense. This new covenant really is better in every way than the old. It establishes a new relationship between sinful, wretched humanity and the Lord God of heaven and earth. A relationship that will last for eternity A relationship through which the Lord is going to resume his plan to bless the whole world. This new covenant is so much better than the old that the old pales into insignificance. But what the writer to the Hebrews wants to stress now is that this new covenant is only available through Christ. This, then, is the supreme reason why the Hebrews must not let go of their faith in him, no matter how tempted they might be to do so. So why is it that this new covenant is only available through Jesus? The answer to this is complicated, but it has to do with one thing. Blood. The power of blood. A few years ago I had to go for a blood test. The nurse said, you will feel a sharp scratch and then it will all be over in a flash. Well I did feel a sharp scratch and then I felt nothing else. I passed out and woke up on a bed. I personally blame the hot weather but I did not appreciate being told when I came round that they still did not have all the blood they required and they needed some more. When we start talking about blood it touches a raw nerve. And yet our language is saturated with references to blood. We talk about cold-blooded murder. We talk about people who are blood brothers. We talk about blood money. We talk about things that make your blood boil. And we talk about people who are hot-blooded. And when we use the word blood in all those ways, it's a way of saying that this thing is serious. This thing is important. This thing is a matter of life and death. Well, the same is true of the Bible. When it talks about the blood of Christ, it is pointing to something serious, something that is of life and death importance. Blood has always been important to God. In the Old Testament, God declares that the lifeblood of all creatures is his That is why when God made the old covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus 24 he got Moses to ratify it by sprinkling blood on both the altar and on the people themselves. He was saying that by making this covenant with Israel he was doing a lot of giving. These people complete with their flaws were now his and that was a serious commitment indeed well just as the old covenant was ratified with blood so too the new this time not with the blood of animals but with the blood of christ and the passage we read in hebrews 9 verses 11 to 28 is there to explain why christ's blood is better in every way three reasons are given for this explaining just what the blood of christ achieves First of all, the blood of Christ is better than the blood of animals because in some mysterious way, it is the blood of God himself. In the Old Testament, the blood of animals shed through the sacrifice system cleansed the outside of God's people. It dealt with external defilement. But when Christ died and his blood was shed, it went so much further. Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, lived a perfect, unblemished life. In verses 14 to 15, it tells us that because of his moral flawlessness, his blood can cleanse us, not just on the outside, but on the inside. His blood cleanses our very consciences from all acts that lead to death. Christ's blood sets us free. Paying the ransom price for all the sin committed under the Old Covenant. In verses 16 to 70, the writer puts this another way. Using the language of wills, the author tells us that Christ bled and died our death so that we might have his life. All of this is to say that because Christ's blood was the perfect blood of God, It achieves forgiveness and cleansing for us at a much deeper level than the mere blood of animals. Second, the writer wants us to know that Christ's blood prepares a better place for us. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the blood of animals was used to cleanse the tabernacle. It was as if, over the course of a year, all the people's sin that was brought to the altar to be forgiven there made the tent itself dirty. Once a year then, the tent needed to be cleansed to enable the sacrifices to continue on into the next year. If it wasn't, the people would no longer be able to approach God and seek his pardon. Well, in verses 23 to 24, the writer to the Hebrew says an extraordinary thing. When Christ's blood was shed, it was not to cleanse an earthly tent or temple. It was to cleanse heaven itself. Jesus died on earth, but when he ascended into heaven, he did so to bring his sacrifice before the Father on our behalf. And even today he is before the Father's throne, interceding for us. When Jesus died, his blood cleansed the way so that we might approach God. His blood makes it possible for us to live before the Father's presence forevermore. Finally, the passage tells us that the blood of Christ is better because it was offered once for all. Therefore, his sacrifice never needs to be repeated. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices had to be repeated every time the people sinned, and every day on behalf of the community as a whole. However, Christ's sacrifice is eternally effective. Jesus was a very real human being, and so he could only die once. But because he was the perfect human being, fully human and fully God, that once was enough. Because of the superior quality of his sacrifice, Christ's blood is able to reach back to the time of creation and forward to the time of consummation, fully cleansing all of God's people in between. To emphasize this, let me read again that wonderful verse 28. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Christ's blood cleanses us deeper than the blood of animals. Christ's blood purifies the way to the Father's presence. Christ's blood forgives all sin and prepares us to live as God's covenant people forevermore. There really is no better news than this. We just have to make sure that we are in that number of those who are waiting in anticipation for his return. There is no doubting that this is a very complicated argument. Hebrews takes a lot to get our heads around it. But the message is stark... And as we know well from the language of blood, the message is serious. We have to hold on to Christ. Yes, he is wonderfully holding on to us. That is what the covenants are all about. God will not let go of his people. He will always forgive them for their momentary lapses. But if we abandon Christ, we abandon the new covenant sealed in his blood abandon the new covenant and you abandon all hope for there really is nothing better available can i urge us all to hold on to jesus however we are tempted for whatever reason we are drifting away in the time of this coronavirus hold on hold on to jesus for we all need his love this Easter week as we retell of his blood being shed for us once more let us turn back to Christ let us turn back in prayer song and worship let us return to our Bibles and to fellowship with our brothers and sisters let us do whatever is necessary if we are struggling help is to be found turn back to Christ and hold on he will never let go of us Let's make sure we do not let go of him.